hours, anything over six hours, and I and I wake up stiff as a stiff as a board. Bam, we're oh. live. Is that all the sleep you get normally? Yeah, normally I sleep. I go. Uh, yeah, normally, uh, maybe probably seven hours. I normally go to bed exactly like eleven on the dot and get up like at six on the dot. I usually get up like at five fifty-eight, two minutes before my alarm goes off. But then, so so yesterday, I didn't set my alarm at all, and I tried to stay in bed as long as I could. I tried to stay in bed till eight, which was just crazy. Like for the last hour, I just was just like. <laughs> You don't know what to do with yourself. You're catch up, like, catch up on sleep. Well, the cool thing is, is Avi was just there laying next to me the whole time. No, perfect. Yeah, kids just wake up and they just they just turn on. There's no like gradual. <laughs> oh, my dog does the same thing. I don't have kids, obviously, but like as soon as I open the kennel door, it's like it's time to go. Like, yeah, no time to drink coffee, no time to sit on the couch and just like contemplate my fucking feelings. It's like there's no go. acclimating. Yeah. Um, two, one minute after I got out of bed, he's like, Hey, come over here and help me build these Legos. I'm like, what are you kidding me? I can't, my eyes aren't, don't even work yet. You haven't got the crusties out yet. Yeah. Jethro. Good morning. Eric. Good morning. Uh, Jeffrey Birchfield. Good morning. David. Good morning. Uh, very interesting guests today. There's, there's guests sometimes. I, well, not sometimes half the guests. I just take a stab at the, in the dark, right? I just see their profiles on Instagram and I'm like, Hmm, I wonder what this guest would be like. Oh, I better tell this guy he needs to be on Chrome. Um, uh, Chrome browser. If you're on a computer. And so this guy, so, so, um, I don't, I don't know if you guys remember the guest. There was a guy named Paul we had on the show. He was in, I don't know. I can't remember. How, we had two guys who were in a coma. In a coma, is it a coma or a coma? Two guys who were in coma or a coma? We're in a coma or were in a coma, comatose. Two guys that were in medically induced coma, right? That's it, it was medically induced for both of them, right? Paul and uh, Phil Kelly, I think so, yeah. And and but both of them had severe some sort of severe case of COVID and. Basically, I, I think uh, Paul was out for like 60 days. He was the one who was saying having all the crazy dreams and terrors that his family was dead. When he woke up, he thought his family was dead. Anyway, he is a uh, a, fr- a friend of a friend, and I've hung out with Paul a bunch now and uh, have built a friendship with him. And he goes to a jiu-jitsu gym in, um, I think, Costa Mesa or Newport Beach, and it's called AOJ. And if you're a practitioner of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and you're pretty geeky about it, you know that gym. It's like the gym. And so Paul goes to that gym and practices uh, the art of jiu-jitsu. And I believe that's where he ran into Nick. And uh, I started perusing Nick's um, Instagram account. And I was like, ooh, I got to get this guy on the show. Good morning, Nick. What's up, brother? What's up, guys? How are you? Thanks for doing this. I'm not getting any audio. Okay. Take your time. Let me uh, see what I got going. That's how this show works, <laughs> guys. This is the sh- this is the shirt that uh, for Wadapalooza, um, the CEO shirt from Wadapalooza. Go over to Vindicate if you want to pick one out. It's funny. He sent this to me a week ago, and I just thought it's not my color. It's not my color. I'm not going to wear it. I'm not going to wear it. And then I'm like, oh, I should wear it so people can see it and buy it. And then this morning, as I was walking into the podcast studio, my six year old said, "You look good in pink." I was like, "All right." 
All right. So there you go. Matt Souza thinks I look good in pink. I got too. you guys. We're good. Yo. What's going on, man? It's a it's a uh a 54-year-old man with a 23-year-old man's body. What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> Everything is good, man. It's coffee time. It's a little early for me. Is that CGI that body yours? <laughs> you eat for your gut bio, uh, bio, gut bio, bio, yeah. biome, biome. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I absolutely love that. And more and more, I'm starting to really understand. I think, uh, one of the premises of that is, is regardless of what you're going to eat, only eat one or two or three things and, and know what you're mixing. So like, if yeah. you, if you are going to eat a piece of meat, you know, just eat that piece of meat and give your body body and you avoid meat too. Right. Anyway. Yeah. For your gut biome. I mean, it's, it's a long, it's a long story um, with the whole gut biome thing, but I would say like 15 years ago, I had a friend who um, got sick and he took some antibiotics. I think he took it from his mom's cabinet and they were expired and they only had like half a course and he took them and it created like a gut reaction to where he ended up his, his immune system attacked his own colon and he got colitis and he got it so bad. They thought he would die. This was ongoing for years. And, um, during that time, you know, my closest friend and during that time, um, I just started researching like gut biome and what is this? What is, I didn't even know what a gut was. What is the gut? You know, what is the gut? I just think it's your stomach and my love handles. <laughs> no, it's everything that it through your internals that goes from your stomach all the way down to your anus. And so, so to my Cheerio, we call it the Cheerio on this show. We call it the Cheerio. So yeah, there you go. And so it, uh, the gut biome is all the trillions of bacteria that are inside of there. And then, you know, so the more I learned with him and, and also he ended up long story short for his saga is he ended up like two years later becoming one of the first people in the United States to get a fecal transplant, which the doctors at UCLA told him was insane. It would never work. And UCLA, one of the top GI, you know, schools in the, in the world. And, uh, and it worked, it saved his life. And they wanted to, the doctor was like, don't do that. Let me remove your colon. So you have a bag and you're going to walk around with the bag. You're 32 years old. You're going to walk around with the bag for the rest of your life. And so the doctor afterwards was like, you know what? I was wrong. You're right. You know, but think about it. Sometimes you have to be on the cutting edge of, of where nutrition is going because doctors, you know, they're not all, they're not all like that. Um, I so still, anyways, yeah, go, go ahead. No, no, you go. No, so then that saved his life. But during that time, during those two years, you know, I really started. I already I had my podcast, Modus V, where I was already, I've always been into nutrition and 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 athleticism because I wrestled, you know, and wrestling is unlike um unlike uh football, you know, I played football also, you don't have to lose weight, but wrestling, you have to manage your weight. And so because I wrestled from eight to 18, there was such a long gap in there of like six years where I had to really manage my weight and learn about that. So through puberty, you're like not only having to be athletic at the highest level that you can in your training, but you learn discipline and you learn how to manage your weight. So anyways, 
um, from that, from him, I learned about the gut biome, you know, back to what we were talking about. And, uh, and I was just shocked to, to, to learn that our, the gut controls everything from our immune system to our cognitive ability, to our sleep, to there's just everything. It's almost like the real brain of the body. You know, this is the, this is the brain we think with, but that's the brain that controls everything. So once I learned that, then I, it just kind of sent me down this path where I'm like, okay, I want to learn as much of this as I can. Um, around the same time is when I saw a picture of myself surfing. I think I was like 39 and it was at Huntington beach. And it was one of those really rare warm days we we're in surf trunks. And, uh, and I saw a picture of me on a wave and the wave was amazing. My board looked great, but all I could think about and kept looking at was the freaking fact that I was so overweight. It was insane. So when I wrestled in uh, my senior year, I was 163 pounds and completely ripped. And uh, that's right. So this picture right here is how much I, I was weighing. I was even heavier when I was at uh, Huntington Beach. Right here, I was probably weighing like 185. If you anyone know? wants to know what my body looks like, it's one of those. I'm not going to tell you which one, but it is <laughs> identical to one of those. I swear to God. It is, <laughs> it is, I, that's, and that's what my hair looks like when I don't um, shower. <laughs> I mean, I don't wash my hair anyway. I bet you Nick doesn't want, put soap in his hair either, but no, um, no, soap's stupid. No. Uh, okay, so, sorry, so, sorry, so sorry. So you, you couldn't no, stop staring no, no, at no. your so, physique. So I saw this picture of my, I couldn't stop staring at it. I'm like, what in the world? I'm like, if I look like this at 39, what am I going to look like at 49? What am I going to look like at 59? I'm going to be that guy, right? And I don't, yeah, my titties guy. are starting to even sag a little bit. Yeah, I was like, I, that ain't gonna happen to me, man. So at 39 is when I really was like, you know what? Um, I need to get, I need to pull this together because what's crazy is that, you know, when I posted on that post, you can go, people can go through and read that put the comments, but quite a few people are like, Oh, all you need to do is, you know, do more jujitsu or do this. You don't need to forget diet. Bullshit, man. What works for you at 18 and maybe 28 will not work for you at 35, <clears throat> you know, I or, wrote a or book at on- 50 or at 50, I'm 50. Yeah, it doesn't snap back. So I wrote a book on the UFC called Into the Cage, Rise of UFC Nation. Traveled with the UFC. Collector's team. item, 134 bucks now. Collector's item. God damn it, put that thing back in print. I need a copy. <laughs> and so um, so I've interviewed hundreds of the most elite athletes in the world who are in a sport where they have to lose weight. Right. So I've been around weight cuts. I've been around all of it. You know, I train jujitsu, as you know, I'm a black belt. This is what I do. I lose weight for tournaments, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, when during this process, what I would see is that you had guys who at the beginning of their career in the UFC, they, it was very easy for them to lose weight. But then when it came time when they got older, when they're like 30 years old, 32, 33. And these are professional athletes, Rafael Dos Anjos, uh, Johnny Hendricks, their body would not respond and they would miss weight. They had horrible weight cuts that almost killed them, you know? And so it just goes to show that there will be a time for everybody's life where you're no longer going to easily lose weight. Um, 
So yeah, it's Cheeto Vera, one of the guys that one of my closest friends, man. We trained together and you went to Ecuador, Ecuador with Cheeto, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. It taught seminar down there. It was great. Uh it. you are looking at Nick. Uh oh, here we go. Nick the Tooth Guyo. Did I say it right? Uh, yeah, Gulo. 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 I pronounce the L. Gulo. And so so, anyways. During this time at 39, I was like, I got to pull it together. Exercise is no longer working for me. And so that's when I really hammered home and started researching as much as I could. I'm also about at the same time as gut biome about, uh, about weight loss. And what I learned was that what happens as the body ages is we develop insulin resistance. And so the body kicks out hormones are the most important thing in the body, right? Hormones are what take a child really, right? And change that child into an adult. It's a hormone. Hormone dictates what happens with the body. And so we have an increase in testosterone. We get more aggressive, right? We get more shredded. We get et cetera, et cetera. Um, if we, but insulin is also a hormone. 100%. And, and when we eat sugar, it triggers an insulin uh, release. But insulin also tells the body, not only does it counteract sugar, but it tells the body to store fat. So the more insulin you release, the more hard it's going to be to get uh, to lose that weight. And so I realized, okay, my problem is not calories like I used to think of it. My problem is sugar. It's not fat. I remember back in the day, it used to be known you got to cut out fats and all that shit. Fat doesn't make you fat. That's nonsense. Nonsense. And so, yeah, so I jumped on a like low insulin um, diet. And uh, uh, once I did that, uh, like very, very low sugar diet, once I did that, I went from 195 down to 156 in wow. 30 days. Wow. 30 days. And one of those days every week was a cheat day where I would eat cake and fucking donuts and the worst shit you could think of, you know? Did you stop because doing that now? Yeah, I don't do that anymore because I don't need it. I needed it mentally then, you know, because, you know, it's a, it's, we're such creatures of habit that, uh, that, you know, to try and change everything inside of 30 days after that I've been doing for 30 years is impossible. You know, what was so the worst thing that you were eating? Um, what was the worst culprit you were eating in terms of sugar? Uh, bread, back bread. In the day, bread. Were you bread. a soda pop? Were you a soda pop guy? Oh, I've never drank soda in my life. Okay. So it was bread. I would never, I will. I don't drink. I wouldn't put soda or diet soda or any of that shit in my body ever. I never would do something like that. So I, as you can tell, I, I'm relatively healthy. I was a vegetarian, um, occasionally eat fish. I was the biggest problem I had was eating bread or pasta or whatever, you know, some kind of carbs, tortilla, those kind of things. And so, um, and that's enough, you know, that is enough. And so, um, so, Anyways, once I went on that diet, I lost so much freaking weight. It was it was incredible, and uh, and then I've kept it off now for fifteen years. And so, a you lot don't wear of people, glasses. You don't wear glasses or contacts. No. Did you ever? Um, I had LASIK back when I was um, 
20, uh, what was I? No, it's like 31. Are you glad you did yeah. that or do you wish you wouldn't have done it? Oh, it was the greatest thing I ever did. Yeah, I loved it. Why? Because, um, Let me shut this window. it's no problem. Because what? People who eat a lot of sugar, one of the places that sugar gets retained is in your cells. And a lot of people who think that they have bad eyesight, it's really because they eat too much sugar. Because when that sugar gets retained in your cells, it, it forces the lens in your eye to start bending. And mm -hmm. that's one of the fucking interesting things. Um, and, but also, I've known other people who've gotten Lasix, and then several years later, their vision just, it, it, it just got bad again. And so they weren't sure if they should have ever have done it. No, my, my vision, it's been, you know, probably 20 years and my vision's still great. So no, I don't, but you know, I, I like people ask me, it's not just about losing weight. People also ask me about, um, people also ask me about, uh, you know, staying young. How do you look young? How do you, this, I I'm a big proponent in not only with my clients, do I talk about health? But I talk about, you know, optimum health. You're not just trying to lose weight. You're trying to be healthy. You want to, the goal is to live young as long as you can, right? Because once health starts to deteriorate, it, you're done. There's not, all the money in the world. It doesn't mean anything. And so, um, so I, I really talk to clients about stress and stress is what ages you without question and dietary stress is one of the biggest culprits of stress. Um, do you so, fast? Uh, every day. Yeah. Do you ever yeah. do, do you ever um, not eat for a whole day? Like, do you have like a, yeah. A, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that it also from with dietary stress, I just think people eat too much food. Right. You know, when I go, when I was, I just spent a year in Europe and uh, in Europe, I really wanted to study the Mediterranean diet and that's what I did. So I moved to Sicily and I lived in Sicily for a year. And, um, it was an incredible experience, but more so I got to go to Sardinia, which is one of the blue zones and see how they eat and see how they live and study Mediterranean diet. Sardinia is right next to Sicily. So they're like sister islands. And so, um, I was there teaching jujitsu and I got to see, I got to live a, eat a real Mediterranean diet. And I lost, I came back three weeks ago and, uh, I went from, I left here at like 165, 164, which is my normal weight. And I came back at 153. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Did you roll when you were over there in Europe? I was teaching jujitsu. Okay. I taught, I taught seminars around, around Europe, all around Europe, from Poland. I was teaching in Poland, Spain, Bilbao, France, everywhere, all throughout Italy. Yeah. Um, Nick, by the way, the gentleman below you is uh, Caleb Beaver. Caleb. And uh, Caleb is deployed in an undisclosed location um, where there is a lot of sand. Oh, man. Is it hot? <laughs> Not currently, but it was. It was pretty toasty. Really? Yeah, it was like 120 at one point. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my great. gosh. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> he didn't so get any in... color. He stayed the same color. He didn't get any color. So I was in – so so when I was in Sicily, I was uh, – you know, Sicily's like what? I'm I'm going to make a guess, but it, it's almost like you can look from the south of the island and see Africa. So it's like, you know, 30, 40. Mediterranean is not that big. And so it's the southmost part of uh, of uh, of Europe. And I was living in a medieval castle, like a palace, an old palace. It wasn't a castle, but it was a palace, an old hunting palace that was built in 1100. OK, and the walls 
were like they're three feet thick. Yeah, you could see. See how close that is? You're right there. Tunisia is right there. And so if you want to talk about there's no air conditioning, there's no insulation. It is so effing hot. I just I was right there in Palermo in uh, the topmost uh, the northwest uh, region, and that's like the main city. Catania and uh, Palermo are the main cities. Palermo is amazing, but I lived in a city called uh, Manreale, which is where my grandfather was born. Right there, right? Yep, right there. That's Manreale. That's right. And Il Duomo. Il Duomo. Are you sure Manreale. your grandfather wasn't Salvador Dali? <laughs> Let me tell you something. In this little village where I lived in, it was beautiful. All the most amazing architecture you've ever seen. And uh, I was the only person, American, that had ever lived there. They tripped out on me. They like tattoos. They just couldn't even imagine. And uh, it was great, though. It was the greatest experience of my life, for sure. I had to learn Italian, though. There was no one spoke a word of English. Not a fucking word. And they were, they basically were like, dude, you, you have to learn Italian because we're not learning English. And so I had to learn Italian. I learned did Italian. they, did they call you the tooth or did they call you Nick? <laughs> no, you know what they called me? When I would ask, when people would ask me when I first got there and I, they were like, what's your name? And I would say, Nicolo. And they were like, no, that's not your name. And so they had to teach me how to say my name, Nicolo, Nicolo. And they're very, <laughs> and they're very particular about it right? Very particular. They would correct me again and again. So my first order of business there was to learn how to say my name. And uh, the good thing is on my last, my, my last name, because my family is from that, uh, that town in Monreale, my last name is very well known. I would walk around like the village and there would be stores with my last name on it. And in America, I've never met anybody with my last name. And I've certainly never met anybody named Nicolo. But in my gym, there were like three Nicolos. So, wow. Yeah. Very, di- very, 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 very different. I had a, a vintage motorcycle. And every weekend, I would just drive around the island and just go to different. And everywhere you go in Sicily, because it's such an ancient island, you would see like a crumbling castle here, a crumbling castle there. There was a, a Castle del, del Mare on the west coast. Um, there is, um, it's a castle and because in Sicily had been invaded so many times that they would just put up like castles and walls everywhere and on with the castles and the walls they would use to put up, put out flares to let people know that there was an invading army coming and also to defend them. And, uh, in Castle Del Mare, there was a wall that was like eight stories high and it looked like the, the wall out of the game of Thrones. It was incredible. Uh, yeah. It's, it's some of you guys are starting this guy. This is a real, uh, you hear people throw that term around Renaissance man. Uh, uh, Nicolo, Nicolo, um, Nicolo, 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 Nicolo. He is a, uh, 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 Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and world champion, multiple-time world champion. Um, he is a on a podcast. He has a podcast, a sci-fi podcast. He's an author. He is a father. 
Uh, he is a photographer. He's a world traveler, uh, obviously a writer. Uh, here's his most recent episode published in uh, December of this year, episode 41, Artificial Intelligence. It's on the Infinite Worlds uh, podcast. And he was on a um, – he's uh, close uh, friends with uh, Mr. Dana White, um, a, a hero of mine for what he did with the UFC during the um, so-called pandemic. And uh, he also was on a TV show with um, Dana. Um, it was called Looking for a Fight, right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, he's done it all. And I'm sure I've missed uh, uh, several, several things. I want to go back to the, bi the biome thing real quick. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, by the way, the community that I'm really embedded in is the CrossFit community. And mm -hmm. we, the, the prescribed diet is the zone diet. And the reason why they prescribed the zone diet is for one reason and one reason only to control your hormones. That was a big mm -hmm. premise of what Greg Glassman would talk about. You want your hormones to just be just steady. You do not want fluctuations in your hormones. Yeah. And obviously a ton of that is around insulin. But when I was, I spent a lot of time in India and their diet was basically they knew what to mix and what not to mix. And I remember one guy telling me there, Hey, you should never eat more than three different, anything, any more than three different ingredients. So if you were going to have, let's say a meal, it should be rice, broccoli, and, uh, you know, a tomato, you know, th you shouldn't be like, and our basic, anything you pick up at the store now has 30 ingredients. Yeah. And, that was and I thought I saw you fit for life. I I'm sorry. The book fit for life back in the eighties. That was a, uh, a big, a big foundation of that book. And is that a big body. premise for you too? I thought oh, I yeah. saw that in, in reading about you that like, Hey, don't, don't wreak yeah. havoc in there. Like if you're going to eat something, eat that and, and, you know, give yourself some time or only mix it with things. Well, is there an ideal meal for you that you think is just like, Oh I mean, my God, I, really like, you this know, one? I, I read fit for life back in the eighties and it was a, it, it had a big influence on me. Uh, pr the premise there is that is you're trying to digest you have to each different types of food. This is the premise is that requires a different enzyme. And sometimes the enzymes cancel each other out and the food goes undigested. It's that simple. And so there are some foods that I like you should, they say you should never eat fruit with anything else. Fruit should be eaten alone. Right. But I don't eat fruit because I avoid sugars. And so I eat my ideal meal is a salad. So I love salad. Are so you I in ketosis? Care. Are you in ketosis at all times? No, but sometimes it depends because uh, trying to gain weight for the tournament, you know, that I just had last week. Um, I, I, like I said, my weight, I came back at 153, but my weight class was like 164, I think. And so I really wanted, I didn't want to drop down another four pounds, but um so I just tried to gain weight. And so every day I was eating as much oatmeal and as much rice and as much like really clean carbs as I could. And uh, so I was able to get back up to like 157 or something, 158, I think, on the day of the tournament. But uh, um, that's me back in the day. That's when I first started jiu-jitsu. I was 43 right there when I started jiu-jitsu. And, and are the Mendez brothers aren't – how old are the Mendez brothers now? I mean, they were so young then. They had to be like 20 years old. They're probably 32 now, you know, somewhere around there. So Crazy. Yeah, they were so young when we first started. I was the crazy uncle in the gym, without question. I still am. But now when I came back, because I've been gone for three years, 
um, you know, traveling, traveling the world. At first, uh, when the pandemic first started, I jumped in my sprinter van and just traveled the United States teaching jujitsu and uh, and surfing up the coast all the way to Canada. And then after a year and a half, then I went to Europe and I uh, spent the rest of the time in Europe. So I just came back two weeks ago. And You started uh, jujitsu at 43? Yeah. Yeah. And you got your black belt in seven years? Yeah. Do you know anyone who's ever gotten and you got it from AOJ? Yeah. But so, I couldn't, don't anyone say anything stupid like he got an easy black belt. Just, just stop. Don't even think about it. Because well, if you don't know what AOJ is, this guy did not get an easy black belt. But seven years is. Do you know anyone who's ever gotten a black belt in seven years? Besides you? I don't know. I mean, I know guys who have gotten who are who are professional competitors who have. I don't know anybody who's. Uh, you mean you like know, a fighter? You mean like a guy who? I, I mean, I mean someone who starts. You know, who who becomes starts competing on the like Gio Martinez under Eddie Bravo, you know, but Gio became one of the top level. It, there's a different path for people who compete versus people who are just hobbyists. And so I treated jujitsu as a competitor immediately within th three months, I started competing. And so, and once I started competing, I never stopped. And so I did, uh, I won, I think I won Nogi worlds at purple belt when I, after four months, um, wow. So you, so you fought it as a, as a, as a white belt. Yeah. Wow. And I won and I won the blue belt division. And so obviously they gave me, they had to give me my blue belt. Right. And so I got my blue belt after four months. <clears throat> and so then I competed at, you know, blue belt and I won. Would you do that on purpose just to like, to, so your instructor would see, and it, was that a way like, of, like skipping a grade? No, okay, I'm going no, 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 to compete no, 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 up no. so I can get the belt. No, because it, it, for me, it was, I, you know, I love to compete. I love to challenge myself, uh, but I started studying the Japanese concept, the samurai concept of mushin mind and mushin mind means mind without mind. And the term, uh, really refers to when you go into battle, the last thing you can do is start thinking because you'll be dead. Think about a samurai fight. You know, one touch and you're dead. You have no room to sit there as you're fighting and start thinking about, man, I got to go to the grocery today. I got to do, you know what I mean? You better be fucking focused right then. And just like you can't be distracted about grocery lists or your, what your girlfriend's doing or what you're going to do after the fight, you can't be distracted by fear or stress or worry. You have to be engaged in the task. And so I really start, I'm very much into meditation. I've been meditating since I was, I think my mom had me taught uh, when I was like 10. Um, and I've been meditating ever since. And so I'm very much into meditation. I do a lot of yoga. Um, but Mushin Mind was a way, I mean, competition was a way for me really to test whether I could go into an inordinately freaking stressful situation. I remember I was talking with BJ Penn one time and he was like, I got, I used to get more nervous. And he, if you don't know, BJ Penn was an incredible like uh, UFC champion. I think at two different weight classes, the first. The and founder like, of CrossFit was friends with him. I don't know if you know that he made a workout for BJ Penn called fight gone bad. Oh, wow. And it, and it was made for BJ Penn. It was, you know, basically to simulate a fight, uh, five minutes on, one minute off, five minutes. 
But anyway, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, our yeah, paths yeah. are crossing. Yes, go on. So BJ, BJ said that, you know, he was more afraid and he was the first American or first non-Brazilian to ever win, to ever win a world championship in, uh, in jiu-jitsu. And so BJ said, I was more nervous during jiu-jitsu matches than I ever was during the UFC fight. Wow. Um, and Did so, you take this picture? Yeah. I'm a so, photographer. So for people who don't know what you're looking at, those are the Mendez brothers. And then in the blue is Ronda Rousey. And then taking uh, the shot to the throat is uh, BJ Penn. And Nick is sitting somewhere in that facility uh, snapping. I'm taking the picture. I'm behind the a camera. Photo. Crazy. <laughs> what a crazy. Yeah, this is, I, I looked through a bunch of your photos. This is like one of my all time just favorite. Everyone says that. That is that that was a closed door session. That was a really big deal in the martial arts world for that to happen. So, yeah, crazy. So anyways, um anyways, the uh I loved testing my mind and my motion mind in the tournament because the closer I would get to the tournament, the more nervous I would get, right? My mind would say, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. What are you doing? To the point where, you know, they call you out of the bullpen, the freaking lights are, you know, noise, chatter. You're, you see all the mats. There's 12 mats in front of you. Your opponent's next to you. They grab you. They're like, come on, you too, now. And so they bring you to the mat. You're sitting there. You're like getting ready for the tournament. You're like, fuck, all your coaches, all your teams behind you. And, uh, you know, you're starting to get nervous. I can feel it right now, you know? And so when it's you the get fight, that, fight or flight, right? And, you, and, you, oh, and you're stuck in flight instead of fight, right? That's you're stuck right. In flight, and, yeah. and, 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 and you really don't want to be stuck in either. You right. want to have a, a, an elevated sense of focus, but you don't want to be in fight or flight. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be, you know what I mean? I want to be like, I'm in control of this situation right now. I'm cool. And so I would hear my mind like screaming, get out of here, fake an injury, do it. You know how our minds are. Yeah. 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 And so I, as, as the more I did it, the more I was able to say, just like at this last tournament, same thing. I see, I hear my mind like going off and trying to, you know, say just spasming. Right. And I just would put it, you're right here. And it would be like, I'm scared. Oh, I don't want to do this. Da, 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 da. I'm like, that's okay. You just sit right there. I'll handle it. And that's how I view, you know, panic and fear and anxiety. It's like, of course it's there. I'm a surfer. That's how I lost my tooth. And sometimes in big way, and it was big ways. And sometimes I've heard two ways, different stories about your tooth, my friend. There's many different stories, many stories. I heard it was bull. I heard the surf story and the bull riding story. And I actually thought, oh, this guy's a writer. He'll tell whatever story he wants to tell. But the surf story is true. So or at, least, <laughs> or at least today, or at least today it is. Okay. Back to the mind. By the way, so very, anyways, very anyways, Eckhart Tolle. Very Eckhart Tolle. I, uh, I love that. I love power yeah. of now. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So so Bruce Irons one time, you know, one of the greatest big wave servers that ever lived. One of the greatest servers that ever lived. And he was talking about fear and how afraid. I mean, this guy surfs everything, you know. And so um, he won the Eddie, which is the big wave contest in Hawaii. And he was talking about being afraid, you know, in big waves. And he's like, of course I'm afraid. What do you mean am I, am I afraid? I'm always afraid. It's terrifying. But you just got to have the fear sit next to you and just do it. 
And so, you know, it's the same thing with anything. It's the same thing with, you know, but if you can put yourself in the most extreme circumstances in which you're going to be afraid and then analyze that fear and then work through it and get used to it, that's the key. You have to get used to it. And so, and the only way I know to do that is to put myself in extreme circumstances. And so a jujitsu tournament functions like that. And so after a while, I would just be like, yeah, you're scared. Go ahead. But you have trained so much. It's all going to work out, you know, and it always does. And so the, you know, when I walk my boy, started competing. When I walk my boy onto the mat, the entire time we're walking there, he's saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And I refuse to engage with that. That because I know that's not him. I know that's his mind. He's he's still attached to his mind because he's so young. And he and then and then I just walk up there with him. I don't engage him. I just maybe put my hand on his shoulder. And then they call him out onto the mat. And then that's it. It goes away. I I want to show you this. You should. I I hope you have a chance to cross paths with this guy someday. This is a guest we had on the show. He's only one of five um, urban solo climbers in the world. His name is Alexis uh, Landot. And. All he just he climbs skyscrapers and he's a young and he's a young French kid and he's uh I want to say 22, 23 years old. And he said the exact same thing you did when I asked him this question. I said, when you're up there, I asked him it in five or six different ways. I said, when you're up there and you're climbing, um, if if someone if, what are you thinking? He goes, you, if you're thinking you're dead. You're dead. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, you, you cannot, there can be no thinking, there can be no emotion. I go, well, what if someone from the bottom yells at you, you have a little dick? He goes, I won't even hear it. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you don't understand. If there's anything I'm doing besides this, I'm dead. (laughs) He's like, there is, and he does it for the same reason. He has this enormous fear of death. And so he wants to silence that. And he silences it by climbing skyscrapers. That's crazy. (laughs) With just his bare feet and hands. Nuts, right? What What a stud. That's insane. Yeah. Anyway, so I don't want to be his mom and dad, though. I don't want to be his mom and dad. Or so circling back, you know, you're like, do you got your jujitsu black belt in seven years at every belt? I competed and I never got competed until I won Pan Americans or Worlds. And so it was all never got what you said. You never I never I'm sorry. I never got promoted to the next belt because I was treated as a competitor because they knew I competed. I was like in the master's category, I was like one of the top competitors as far as, you know, and there are many of us, it's not just me. And so there are many of us at that, you know, in the master's division, it's a big gym. You got a thousand people there. Wow. Um, but I was competing from the, the beginning. I was the, I always tell the brothers this all the time is that I am the first AOJ world champion ever. Not you. Yeah. Is that true? <laughs> it is true. Wow. Is true. Because after AOJ opened, I was the first one to win a world title. They didn't until the next year. So technically, it's me. And, and it I was really important to you. I remind them of that all the time. And it was really important to you to um, represent your gym well, too. They must have really appreciated that. Like you took that, you took the fact that if you were going to be wearing their shirt, you let that be added, you threw that onto the added pressure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, you do represent the gym. I represent the gym in everything I do. When now when I travel the world, the first thing people say is you're from AOJ, you know, amazing. Like when I, when gym owners bring me in to teach, there are two things that they're 
or three things really they cite to their students is this is one of the first white to black belts at AOJ. He started jujitsu at 43. So all of you people who say you're too old to start when you're 30 right here, you know, and the fact, you know, from um, that I compete and I've won at worlds at every belt. So what's the oldest person you've seen get a black belt or you've even heard about? I don't even know. Older than you? Oh, yeah. I would think so. You've seen like a 60-year-old get a black belt? I just don't know. What's that? You've seen a 60-year-old maybe get a black belt? Yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. I'm I'm thinking like 90, 95, you know? Wow. I don't know. I just saw – I've seen people at tournaments that are competing that are 70, 75 years old, you know? Who who gave you your black belt? Hoffa Mendez. Wow. Do you remember so that day gym, well? So when, when the gym first opened, it was Hoffa. It was only few, very few of us were doing Nogi. And Hoffa was very into Nogi at the time because he was preparing for ADCC. And because I wrestled, I was able to, we would just wrestle and do jujitsu. So I was able to really learn one-on-one with Michael Jackson. I mean, not Michael Jordan. You don't want to say Michael Jackson. But for Michael <laughs> Jordan. Yeah, see, 74 right there. Wow. Uh, for those of you who don't know, when he refers to ADCC, uh, we've had Nicky Rod on a bunch of times and and his brother Jacob. And uh, if you don't remember, uh, ADCC is the Abu Dhabi uh, Combat Championships. It, it's the – is it fair to say it's the premier event in the world? I don't know about that because there's it's the premier Nogi event in the world. I don't okay. know if it's the premier – you know, I mean – world championships in the gi are, you know, are also, they're all grappling and they're all, both are jujitsu, but, uh, it's definitely for Nogi, but you um, know, for those who train in the gi, there's a lot of people who don't train Nogi. So I I've done both since the beginning. I didn't want to get in the gi, but now I love the gi. And do you recommend that everyone do both? I do. Yeah. If you're going to do one, you might as well do the other. Is, is is it just obvious that Nogi is just more practical in real life or no? I don't know what real life is. What do you mean? Fair, like getting fair, in a street fair. fight at, at 7-Eleven? Sure. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, a, 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 a drunk guy costs your family on the street. Krav Maga is pretty good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know? Fair. I mean, okay. it, the, 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 the picking up a rock and hitting someone in the head is pretty good. Right. You know? I mean, um, I, it's it's good if you're going to get in a street fight one on one with somebody, which is a pretty stupid thing to do. Then inevitably, it's going to go to the ground, right? And so, I, because I wrestled for ten years, I've never had a problem getting something to the ground if it went to that when I was younger and stupid, you know. But uh, you know, as far as practical, if I was if I was concerned with self defense, I would train, you know, a year of Krav Maga, and I would train a year of uh, jujitsu or two, three years. It really takes like three years to where it's Did like you train Krav Maga? No. No. Because I don't but, fight. Right. <laughs> I don't want to get in a fight. I have no interest in getting up. I used to do that shit all the time when I was younger. Where were no you born? In that anymore. Uh, New Orleans. And were you raised there? No, I was raised in Vegas. Oh, wow. But I'd spend summers back there. But yeah, that's how Dana and I uh, are friends. We've known each other. When I grew up in Vegas, it was very, very small, very small. How um, and how old were you when you moved to Vegas from New Orleans? Oh, like two. And uh, you moved there with your mom and your dad. Yeah. Are are they are are your mom and dad still around? My dad passed 
a few years ago. My mom's around. She's still in Vegas. And 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 what what was growing up for you like? I I I know your junior year you departed from high school to go to a um, bad kid school. What are they called? They have a nice name for it. Reform school. <laughs> yeah. it, was it was called Opportunity School. Yeah. Um. What, t- t- tell me about uh, first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade. Uh, n- normal kid. Um. You know, learning how to write cursive, math. Enjoyed school. I mean, you know, I grew up in Vegas right? Las Vegas. My family's Sicilian. Do the math, you know, do, do, very do, different do, upbringing. Is, is, uh, English, are your parents immigrants? No, Mm-mm. no. My gr- my grandfather was born in Sicily. So my, both sides of my family are for, from Sicily. My mom's family, Baruso and Gulo, my side. They come through Ellis Island, you know? Yeah. Wow. I had to crazy. research all that. So I'm a lawyer. Ellis Island's that Statue of Liberty, right? <coughs> yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where my that's where that's where my, I think my grandparents came through too. Go on, sorry. So you researched so, it. Yeah, so I, I'm a lawyer. I got my uh when I went back to after um graduating at UNLV, I uh went back to New Orleans and I was living there and um ended up getting married and when my wife got pregnant, and then I was like, I'm gonna have to do something to raise this family. So I went to law school and I also got my MBA from Tulane. And so, you know, being a lawyer, my daughter, uh, like five years ago, met a Brit and married a Brit and moved to London. And I was like, man, I want to be closer to her, but I can't stay in Europe. You know, Americans can't stay in Europe, stay in Europe for three months. I think it is out of every uh, 90 or something, whatever it is, three months out of every six. And so I started researching it, like, how can I stay in Europe? How can I stay in Europe? And I was talking to Cheeto's sister when we were down in Ecuador. And she told me, yeah, I think they were making travel plans for Cheeto or something. And they, she showed me his Italian passport. He has an Italian passport and uh, Ecuadorian passport. And so I was like, how'd you get that? Because I knew how valuable an, a European passport was because the EU is like America. If you have an EU passport from one of those countries, then you can live, have free health care, travel, work, whatever you want to do anywhere in the EU, right? From Switzerland to Portugal to Italy to you know, Poland, wherever you want to live, Amsterdam, France, and you have health care, you have everything taken care of. And so I was like, Damn. Um, no, I'm not married. I was married. I'm not married. And Heidi so, does jujitsu. Heidi does jujitsu. Oh, awesome, Heidi. In Wisconsin. And what's how's Wisconsin? You like Wisconsin? She's single. No, all right. All right. Fine. Fine. Sorry, it's very Heidi. cold. I don't like the cold. So, anyways, right. I started researching. I started researching uh um this passport. And and I, oh, so I asked uh her. How did you guys get this passport? Because they all had it. And they're like, well, our grandfather was born in Italy. And so under Italian law, we were entitled to it. So I said, whoa, 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 whoa. My grandfather was born in Italy. And so she's like, maybe. So I came back to America and I started researching, researching, researching the law, Italian law, started learning some Italian, figuring it all out, mapped it out and uh, went back through the records of people. My grandfather coming into Ellis Island, found out when he came, found out when he, my father was born, when he naturalized. 
in a long story short, the way it works is if it's just like if you go to another country and have a kid, I, if you still have your American passport, if you're still an American and you have citizenship, that kid's American, right? Now, if you stay in that country, you might need to do certain things to prove that when the kid was born, you still had your passport if you gave it up. Same thing happened with my uh, with my father. So because when my father was born, my grandfather was still an Italian citizenship, an Italian citizen. Um, my father was born an Italian citizen, even though he didn't have a passport. And when I was born to an Italian citizen, I was born in, you know. So I just had to get all these documents together, um, going back a hundred years, his naturalization papers. That's when I went to Sicily. I brought all the documents. I got them translated. It took a year and a half to get all these documents and get them all that. And went to the Comuna in Sicily. And they're like, what's the Comuna? Comuna is like a town hall. Think of it as like, like a commune. It's spelled like commune. So Comuna. Okay. And, um, and so, yeah, so I went, well, actually, that's not the way it works because Italian bureaucracy is staggering. The first thing they tell you, no matter what you want to do in Italy, especially Sicily, is ask for something, you apply for something. The first thing they say is they look at it, they go, no. <laughs> You're like, what? That's the default? Yeah, no. Every step of the way was no, no, no. I had to get like a, a social security number in Italy, a codus fiscale. No, that took three freaking weeks to get that. So every step of the way I had to register, I had to rent an apartment. No, you can't rent an apartment. I want to do this. I want to do that. No, no, no. And every step that I had to go through to finally submit my paperwork took, you know, months, three months. Then I went to the Comuna and I have my buddy who owns a gym there in uh, Palermo, um, Vanguard. And so he's my translator and we go in with the packet and I'm so happy. I'm like, I got this thing. Here it is right here. This is it. I had this thing. It's full of all my documents. I'm like, man, this is my Willy Wonka golden ticket. I am so happy. I put it on the desk and I, I'm like, I did all this work. You know, I'm so happy. I slid it over to the lady. She looked at it all and she goes, no. You will never get Italian citizenship. We will not give it to you. You're not eligible. This is after a year and a half. I am moved to Sicily. I've got a motorcycle, which took forever. Um, I've rented an apartment. I've got, I am set up, right? And she says, no. And I'm like, what the fuck? So I'm talking to my translator. I'm getting pissed off. He's like, calm down. This is Italy. Calm down. So she says, no. So I went home and I was like, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I have an, my aunt, I have family in Monreale. That's one of the reasons I went there. I wanted to experience like where my ancestral family is from. And so I call my aunt who's from this little town, right? And her, her husband, my uncle, my Zio, Mia Zia and Zio, that's how you say it in Italian. Uh, so they're like residents there. And in the town hall, in the Comuna, there's only four or five people that work there. And so she meets me down in the town center, right? And she's smoking a cigarette and she's loud. I, she doesn't speak a word of English, right? And at this point, I don't really speak a whole lot of Italian. So my buddy's translating, 
But the moment she sees me, she grabs me, she hugs me, she starts crying. She's like, you look just like my father. I, I knew after he died that there would be a sign from heaven that he was still watching over me and you're it. That's what she said. It was so cool, so emotional. And so she walked me into the Kamuna, smoking her cigarette up the stairs of this freaking old ass building. Looked like a communist building. And uh, and we go into the Fasci- it was fa- it was a fascist building, very close. Yeah, yeah, Mussolini. At some point, you know, there's a lot of fascist buildings in uh, in Italy. So um, so she goes in there, man, and she starts fucking laying into everybody because all those people who work there were students in grade school of her husband. And so she knew every one of them. That was it. I got my citizenship in seven weeks. (laughs) That is how Italy really works. Had you given up at that point? Did you think you were screwed? No, because I knew that there was a way. My philosophy in life is, okay, roadblock. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. That is literally my philosophy with everything is that I can figure it out. There's always a way. So you have two passports now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. So now, yeah. Now when I, like when I travel through Europe, I don't use my American passport ever. And, and uh, And, your, and your daughter's still over there in the UK. mm -hmm. She lives in uh, London. So I spend a good, I I spend, you know, a good portion of every year, like three or four months of every year training over there. Jiu-jitsu is huge there, especially Nogi and uh, in London. I love London. I just, I just couldn't live there. Do you have grandkids? It's too cold. No, not yet. Hopefully soon. And and does her husband like you? Oh, we love each other. Yeah. He thinks I'm a psychopath. He's very buttoned up English. You know what I mean? Into football. And but he's a great guy. Yeah, I took him to a fight, a UFC fight in London. I think it was last year. We had a great time. That's on my Instagram from last year. It was amazing. And um, that was his first UFC fight. And he was like, what the fuck? Was so everything's good between you and you and Dana. Or, or everything's good. Yeah, it's always been good. We talk all the time. You know, Congratulations. people. It's, it's people nice having think, a friend like that. Yeah, people think that we had a rift, and it's like the the thing was neither of us said that, but media media says one thing. The, the The shitty thing right now in the world is that there's no money for media anymore. There's too much media, and so everyone, every site, you know, considers themselves to be a news outlet when the reality is no one's really getting paid there. So all they turn out is clickbait. All yep. it is clickbait, yep. clickbait, clickbait. Yep. It's nonsense. And so, uh, you know, and they can say whatever they want and they can have they say the whatever FBI, they want and, and they, they can have the FBI come in and uh, interfere too. But, but they have no journalistic standards in which they never contact you and say right. what's <laughs> going on. They just put shit out there. And it's like, it's not media. You're not even, a, if you're a media outlet in the smallest bit, you would fucking contact someone and say what's going on and ask for a quote. The New York Times bashed me, uh, did a nice little bat hit piece on me, and they never contacted me once. That's the New York Times is one of the most highly regarded news sources in the world. Was For them not to contact you? Yeah, is scumbags. Yeah, they're scumbags. It's just in, it just doesn't make any sense. It's it just, it, it, anyways. It, it Let me ask you this because, then, N- Nicola. Ahead. Six years ago, you did an interview with Shale uh, Sonnen. 
mm-hmm. U- UFC fighting legend. And you talked about you did back then. You were, guys were talking about how fucked up the media was, and you were talking mm-hmm. to him about how your experience with the media and the stuff people were writing. You're like, oh, I used to think that when I read something on the media, and it maybe if it, you didn't say this, but I'll say if it came from NPR, National Public Radio, okay, that's a non-biased, legit. And then you started mm-hmm. realizing through this experience, holy shit, people will just say anything. Mm-hmm. When when the um did did you see that right away when when the whole COVID talk started coming out? Were you like you know I I what what's crazy is did that, you get tricked into that? What here's what's crazy is that when I said that it was almost it was, that was six years ago. You were ahead of I your know, time. It's very it's very eerie because it it after that then Trump got elected and all of this fucking false craziness that people started believing. It was almost like people were talking about flat earth. I'm going to go to the extreme, but this crazy fucking nonsense. I never thought in my life, you know, being a a lawyer and going to an elite law school, you really are studying history, right? That it's this history of power in a country. So you're studying important cases where power is transformed and transferred and shifts and morphs. And so you know, studying so much constitutional law, I never thought I would see a day where one of the most important institutions of a democracy is just absolutely laid to waste. And so, you know, when you had, we would bemoan the fact that there were three news channels on television, but the reality of it was at least they were, even at the local level, they were sourcing information and they were contacting people. They had money because there was money to go around to only three outlets. And so once we got to the point where anybody could just believe whatever it is they wanted to believe, it was the fucking, it's, it's going to be the end of our democracy. I truly believe that. And um, it's, it's once I started to see again, on Facebook with all these flat or I'm going to use that as an example, this flat earth nonsense. It just put, it sent a shiver up my spine because the, the implications for that are just terrifying. I mean, you have to have an educated electorate or else democracy doesn't work. And people, well, you, don't you know, have, our media is owned by, have, is owned by pharma. I mean, it's, it, it, it's not, it's not a conspiracy theory. It, you can just follow the money. But I mean, now it is. But but the, the real problem is people don't know how to think critically. Right, right. So I agree. If I someone agree. if someone if someone comes to me and starts saying something, you know, I'm a lawyer, I'm a trained lawyer. And so right. if someone comes to me and they start talking about X, Y, and Z, you know, I'm thinking like a judge. Okay, calm down. Tell me exactly what you mean. Now tell me your sources. Let's look at the sources. Let's see if the sources are credible. I don't want to hear about conspiracy theory. I don't want to hear about how it could be. I only want to care about how it is. And if you don't have something to prove how it is, it's nonsense. The whole COVID laboratory leak thing, yeah, it might be true, but we don't have proof. Where's the smoking gun? I don't, it's, to me, it's irrelevant. It's a theory, right? Yes. No, I'm not saying it couldn't be. And no, I'm not saying it could be. It's irrelevant until we get a smoking gun. I don't want to hear. That's the way I am with everything. UFOs, same shit. I love UFO theory. I love it. But let's see a smoking gun. Okay. Until then, we're having a a debate, right? It it goes back to what you were saying about that mindset. So I, I, I I give you the example 
Um, the, the first data that we had coming out of uh, China for COVID was that the um, was that the deaths were um, uh, 65 and older men smoking for 30 years or more. That was the highest demographic of deaths. And the second highest demographic deaths were the women who lived with those men. And at, and and then and then so really bad thinkers started thinking, oh, this thing killed old people. Well, age is just a correlate. It's not a cause. If you're 70 years old, you've had 30 more years to do bad shit than someone who's 40 mm -hmm. years. And so you can't blame age. You can hold it out there and be like, okay, it's a strong correlate, but you still have no proof. To this yep. day, there's never been a study about COVID around age. <coughs> can you fucking yeah. believe that? And 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 and, and goes, I just was like, holy shit, no one wants to think critically about this. Yeah. I would post over and over, show me one healthy person who's died. Over and over and over. I might tell until I lost my account. I just wanted to see one. Just show me one. Yeah. And 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 I was just I was uh, I was flabbergasted. Uh yeah. I think the fear, I think the fear but behind, but the mushu you know, mind, right? The fear, the fear got in. No, but I think the fear I, I was training in Seaside, Oregon, and one of the uh one of my students there was a uh, brown belt and he was a surgeon. He was an ER surgeon, and he said you know, the, what people fail to remember is we are trying to, we're not trying to protect them. Right. We're not trying to protect people. We're trying to protect our emergency rooms. If our hospital beds get fucking overcrowded, then if you get in a car wreck, we can't take you. If you have a heart attack, we can't take you. So that's what we're trying to prevent. I hear I'm you. Not, they I'm needed you as president though, to tell everyone how to eat. There was going to be the, the, the quarantine and the forced injection for kids is, in my opinion, absolutely the wrong way to do it. We needed Niccolo up there, uh, Niccolo, to say, hey, motherfucker, stop eating sugar and control. I never thought I, listen, man, I never thought that I would want to be president or could be president. And I still don't think that. But compared to what Trump, the way he handled it. Yeah, I think it was a fucking disaster. We lost, what, one point two million already people, whatever. I don't want to talk about covid or politics because it's so, <laughs> you know what when i let me tell you something when yes, i was over yes. in when i was over in sicily one of the greatest things was i didn't hear have to hear about people's politics for a year i didn't have to hear it because if they were talking politics in italy i didn't understand it right and there was no one over there talking about uh about american politics the only thing they got they a good president over there a prime minister that woman's good yeah i don't know anything about it i don't oh, know okay <laughs> and so um so the 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 one thing they would ask me that they could not believe was that we actually have to pay for healthcare. They would say isn't America the, the richest country in the not only in the world but the history of the world? How is it that you pay for healthcare? And they were like, "Well, how much do you pay for healthcare?" I'm like, "I don't know, 600." They're like, "What if you have a family?" I'm like, "I have some families that that I know that pay 1500 a month and they're they just could not imagine and it was like that every single country I went to in the EU, I would have the same conversation. That's the first thing they ask. And then they would just laugh and shake their heads. They're like, man, you guys got a raw deal. And so everyone that I know, knowing so many athletes, you know, who train jujitsu and have injuries and different need different surgeries. I have a friend in London. She just got a uh, complete knee reconstruction, got it immediately, top of the line healthcare. Didn't pay a dime, no deductible, no prescriptions, no nothing. And they pay the same tax rates that we pay. So 
that you don't whole give nonsense, me what you learn is that whole nonsense about socialized medicine being bad. That's because like what you said, pharma and insurance companies own the media. They own, they don't own the media. They own the narrative. And that's pretty clear from this like disinformation campaign against nationalized healthcare that we've had in this country for the last 30 years. I think that's starting to slip a little bit with the, with information finally getting out there, but you know, I, anyway. I have a, I have a different perspective on it, but, but I, but I don't want to lose you. Cause I, um, I, uh, we're, we're an hour. Living in a, like, having lived in a country where I have to pay for healthcare here and I lived in a country where I have socialized medicine there, I could mm-hmm. tell you right now, my experience is socialized medicine is 10 times better. It's not even comparable. Coming from one of the healthiest guys um, walking the planet today. Yeah, but there were times I had to get things done. I mean, you still have to get it done, you know? Right. And I saw around me people that needed healthcare. Right. And so having it lived, until I lived there, I don't feel like I really had an educated uh, opinion. Fair. You know, fair, it fair. was it was like, yeah, I'm just hearing things. How can I speculate about whether the food is actually better in Italy if all I'm eating is Italian food and American Italian restaurants? Right. Until I go there and I eat the food and I live there, then I can say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Here's the reality. So um, when when you were um, I'm going to take us back to uh, Las Vegas. Um, how how old were you when um, you and Dana ran into each other? Do you remember? You know, the first time uh, I like 14, 14 years old, 15 years old, something like that. You guys were in just a class together. No, we just met each other. I think we had I think our girlfriends were uh, my girlfriend and his girlfriend were best friends. And that's how we ended up meeting. And so, uh, and Lorenzo Fertitta and I used to work out. He's the 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 backer and the owner of the previous owner of the UFC. Um, and we used to work out in the same gym since we were like 12, 12, 13. So very small town. We happened to live on like the West side of town and there were like two gyms, you know, two, three gyms and we were both athletes. And so, you know, so I would see him all the time. And, and, and and was it just, you guys just hit it off right away. You just did typical stuff that 14 and 15 year old boys do went and snuck out of the house, met up with girls, went to parties. Someone got a driver's license, got in fights, complete idiots. Yeah. Same shit. Same shit. And, um, and, and how long did that, and since then you guys just stayed in contact? It's, it's yeah. just been just one of those friends you kept. Yeah. But do, but do you it, keep but a it, lot of your friends? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. A, lo- a lot of my, uh, in regards to Dana for a while, because I was in the South, you know, I, um, I was in Florida and so, and I was a, I was a general contractor after I got out of school, I wanted to, to get into construction. So I did that. And, um, and so I was out there in like a luxury, like resort town, but it's still rural, rural, rural Florida, very difficult to travel in and out. Um, and so he would tell me, come on, come to a fight, come to a fight. And I was like, man, I don't like fighting. That's like pit fighting. It's the most idiotic thing. I have, I have no interest in that shit. And I even remember back in 1999 when he was training Lorenzo um, with in boxing and, um, after he had come back from Boston and, um, we were on Lorenzo's private jet and, uh, they, Lorenzo showed me a picture or he and Dana were there and they showed me a magazine and it had MMA in there. And they're like, yeah, we're thinking about getting into this. And I was like, that is the stupidest idea. 
I have ever fucking heard in my life. And so I should be on Shark Tank because I can advise people on good ideas <laughs> with my track record. And so uh, I was like, man, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And, uh, and after that, I had my first, I've trained with, uh, with Dana. He's like, come on over to the gym, like one, another day and uh, at UFC gym or what is now, what became UFC gym uh, where the headquarters were. Um, and that was about the same time. And I did my first jujitsu lesson and, uh, with Dana. And so, wow. yeah, with John Lewis, who was a black belt under BJ Penn. And, and so he I did taught it. the classes at the, at, at UFC at that time, John who, Lewis, John Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. That was like back in the day, I, there were no classes and there was no UFC. That was before they bought it. That was when they were, that was like an exploratory phase. 1998. I think that was, yeah, I think that was even before Dana was even managing Tito. It was. And so he was really in the boxing world. And I think the idea that they had was let's get into uh, boxing promotion. That'll be cool because, you know, we were all into boxing. We love Mike Tyson. This thing with UFC was so weird. I mean, it, it, UFC one was a, was a freak show. It wasn't a, con a sports competition. I mean, it was, of course it was, but it was, it was more spectacle than sport. And so, um, so my thinking was, I don't, I don't have any interest in that. I don't want to watch a fight. It's just drunken guy. You know, my, that was my conception. And so then when I did jujitsu with him, um, I mean, look at that. <laughs> oh, I remember that's from UFC one. That's when the guy kicked that dude's tooth out or something, right? It, dude, it, how awesome is that? I mean, as you know, I'm not dogging it for entertainment value. I think the entertainment value is was greater at this point than what it became in the 1990s before they they turned it around. I think at this point in the mid 90s, I I I don't I never watched one and I don't want to and and but so when and I remember Jane Dana and I did uh, jujitsu for the first time and I was like, I'm not interested in that man. No way. I wrestled. I'm not interested in getting back into that world. And jujitsu was very different then. It was very uh, basic. It was, you know, it's so advanced right now. It was so advanced when I started, I, you know, joining and learning under the Mendez brothers, you know, they advanced jujitsu. They were at a time when the sport became so technical. <clears throat> it became so technical so fast that at that point I was talking to, uh, to uh, Guy Mendez about that uh, a couple of days ago. And I was like, do you remember when the gym, our gym first opened, when AOJ first opened, at, that was a point when there was a tremendous amount of debate within the jujitsu community of what is real sport jujitsu, what's real jujitsu, what can you use on a street, what's more practical versus sport jujitsu. And uh, that debate doesn't happen anymore. Everyone knows that debate is nonsense within the jujitsu world. You know, within and, the and why is world, it nonsense? Because what you've what you've realized is those guys who only train sport jujitsu or, or or self defense jujitsu can't even go in a tournament like ADCC, which is more wrestling and grappling and everything except hitting, but more geared towards that kind of a thing. They can't compete in that either. They get smoked. A guy from a a guy from you don't learn proper things in jujitsu. I go into self defense gyms. Even as a blue belt from Mendez Brothers, I would go into I've gone into self-defense gyms and choked out black belts. 
like this. That should never happen, you know, and not from someone who at that time was 45 years old, you know, right. I shouldn't be able to go in there and smoke a co- and not, not easily, not like smoke them. I mean, like going, dude, what are you doing? So for these self-defense gyms, they just don't learn anything. It's con- it's just nonsense. Hey, is that weird when that happens? Is that embarrassing? Is that like I got like on the back of a I got on the back of a of a of a an instructor at a gym. It was his gym. And I looked up and all his students were watching and I just let him go. I was like, I'm not I'm not interested in right in, in right. embarrassing anybody in life. That's not my thing. So, right. You're a good yeah. dude. You are a it's very weird. good dude. Well, um, so, how did, how did Lorenzo make his money? You said you were on, fam- on, his, on family, his jet. His, his family owned uh station casinos. Oh, his, in- his, his father started uh, like station casinos and he and his brother um, were just geniuses behind it. And, and they yeah. didn't screw. They didn't screw it up like a lot of kids could have. They took it and 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 made it better. No, because they became very, very. It was important to their father that they become very educated. I think Frank, the older brother, went to USC, and uh, you know Lorenzo went to NYU Business School and got his MBA. So, no, I they show- were. They- go yeah. ahead. No, you go ahead. No. Sorry. Uh, there's a picture <laughs> of um you in a private plane going to Alaska. And I wanted to ask you what is, is this is the gotta be one of the biggest private planes I've ever seen. Or is this someone, did you know someone at a private seven thirty seven? I mean, that was you. That was UFC. Will, will you pull it's down at the bottom of the, of the last page, uh, Caleb, it says private seven thirty seven. This is a, this is, um, this is a crazy plane. Isn't it hard once you fly private to ever go back? Um, you Look know, at the size it, of that fucking plane. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not something, um, I think the thing that I miss, like this the, is a private yeah. plane, right? Yeah. Private jet. I mean, thing- I've been in a lot of private jets. I've never been on one that has artwork on the wall. <laughs> I mean, it's like, and a bathroom and a shower and everything else. So, you know, the thing about, I don't, I don't care I'm a, part of my philosophy of, 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 of stress and not having a lot of stress and reducing stress in my life is I love to live a, it's important to me to live a very minimalist life. And so at this point, I haven't had a place that's like really my own that outside of Sicily for, uh, um, I don't know, three years. And so I, I travel with very little, I like the Steve Jobs philosophy of, you know, you only need a couple shirts, a couple pairs, same pair of pants, whatever it is. Henry Rollins was like that too. And, um, so, you know, try as far as luxuries and traveling and I, I, I value instead of things, I value experiences, you know, and I value freedom. And so I don't want any, I don't have any debt. I don't have any bills. I don't have, you know, I don't want any of that shit. And so there's this temptation to say, I need this. I need this. And private jet is, is no different. You know, I have a friend, I have many friends, many, being an attorney, you know, and consulting and, and, and working with wealthy people a lot in my career. Um, I know many people who have private jets. It doesn't make you happy. You know, it is a convenience. 
what I enjoy most about it is that I don't have to wait in line. I can get to the plane. No TSA. Yeah. The plane takes off when we take, when we're ready to take off, you know, obviously they got a a, a wheels up time, but still there's some flexibility there. You know, you're not waiting in line. You're getting offline. Customs is quicker. It's all that, but you know what? Internet's better. Yeah. But I travel, I travel the world, man. It's that's the, that's the, the best part, you know, hundred years ago, my, my grandfather could never travel anywhere. I don't even think from Palermo or from Monreale, which is like eight miles to, you know, I thought about this a lot when I was in Sicily, I would go look and stand out on my balcony and look at the, the, the sea and, and, and look at the city of Palermo from the mountain. And it was gorgeous and beautiful. And I'm like, my grandfather had this very view, but it's doubtful that he ever, before he immigrated at 10, ever even saw the, the, the sea. He probably never saw it. He never was there. He only saw it from that mountaintop. So, you know, we live in an age of, of luxury and we have so much at our fingertips. And so I, you know, I'm just grateful. I try and be grateful. I have a great a gratitude practice where I'm every day. I'm like, what am I grateful for today? You know, what do I have? My health, number one. You know what I mean? I have a lot of friends. I have, you know, and I go through this list every single day, you know. Let's look at this other, uh, right above the private jet uh, post. There's this post on your Instagram, which is just so awesome. Um, You went to Kelly Slater's wave pool? Yeah, I was one of the first people to surf it, man. I had a friend who just went there and it was cost him a fucking small fortune. Whoo. It's expensive. <laughs> 50,000, yeah. if not more. Yeah. Yeah. They d- basically did that. Uh, a buddy of mine went there. A girl, a girl <coughs> I know went there and she surfed the pool. And I think that's what she said. It was like $50,000. And uh, she said it was amazing. And she says, you basically get like, I forget what it is, three waves an hour. And if you fall off, that's your wave. She says, yeah. but you can wait. If you fall off, you can wait for the next one to come. And if the guy's falling off of it, you can get on it. I, when I went, it was, it was a private group. So we had more waves than that. Okay. So, yeah. How incredible was, was that experience? It was, it was especially because the pool had just really opened, and so uh, you know there hadn't been a lot of people that surfed it. So I was again, I'm grateful. I mean, for me, the universe. If I, if I can leave myself, if I can be clear in my head with my intentions, and you know, and 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 try and live a motion mind. To me, the universe just provides opportunities, and I don't question them. I just go with it. Shit doesn't work out on one, one path. I go down another, you know? Hey, so. um, is there anything scary about being in that pool? I, I know I saw it from the p- images and videos I've seen. There's basically something that looks like a train that travels along and pulls all that water. Is there anything yeah. in there where they're like, Hey, don't touch the bottom. Is there, are there any no. rules in there where you're like, dude, better be careful at the bottom. If you touch the bottom, yeah. you're dead. No, no, but it's just, a, it's a different experience because Usually a wave is pushing you from behind, you know, where you're, it's pushing towards the shore. That train is on your left hand or right hand side and you're paddling in right next to it. So the wave is coming from that side. And so it's really kind of a sideways current and it's just very, it's very different. And so it takes, you're going to fall a couple for me. Uh, you're going to fall a couple of ways. See how weird it is? Kind of a weird wave right there. Um, but it, it, it's amazing. It was one of the coolest experiences of my life. Yeah, very, very cool. 
Yeah, that's absolutely. I could nuts. watch that all day, man. That is beautiful. <laughs> so I was, uh, what's really cool is after, um, I was in Sicily for, what was it like eight, nine months. And then I was like, all right, I want to travel. And so I just traveled, I got a backpack and I just traveled Europe, man. I had one backpack. I had one pair of jeans. I had three pairs of underwear, three pairs of socks. And I would just hit the road and I just was teaching seminars. I'd go to country on my, luckily for me, people, enough people know me in the jujitsu community to where I would just put out there. I'm I want to come here. Does anybody want to do a seminar? And so I would go there. They'd put me up. I would, you know, I'd stay there. I would try and stay there for a few weeks so I could experience what it was like in this country to be a local. And, um, and I luckily I was able to go. I went to Rome. I was there for a while with my uh, with a friend there, and then I went to Portugal, and I was in Portugal for a while, and I got to surf again. I had not surfed, although I could go to the beach, and uh, which I did often in Sicily, but to go to Portugal and start surfing again. So I got to surf uh, Portugal. I got to surf Spain, and I got to surf Beatrice, France. It was incredible, incredible, man. There's a picture of you with an IV bag uh, backstage at um, UFC. Is this is this real? And what happened? What caused that? Because Dana and I got really drunk. Oh, we were drinking, we were drinking tequila <laughs> that night, and we went shot for shot. Like I think that was the last time I've really drank. And and and, and and did that and that sobered you up? Didn't sober me up. It was the next day. I was completely sober. I was just hungover. And does that work? Yes. It brought me back to life. I honestly felt like I was going to die back then. Look at that, 2013. Holy shit. Crazy. Yeah, that's probably the last time I really put one on. I was like, no, I am done with that, man. Um, Do you drink at all now? Yeah. I try and drink every single day. Okay, good. But But for me, I say that in jest. For me, drinking is I have like a glass of red wine. I enjoy a glass of red wine when I'm cooking. I love to cook. You don't feel committed so, to finishing the bottle just because you opened it. No. See, you know what, man? There, I have so many friends that are sober, and the sad fact of it is, I think there's such a, a huge genetic component to it that I've never. I heard Flea talking about this from the Chili Peppers, and you know, Anthony is sober, and Frusciante is sober, and those guys. You know, I've 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 read uh, Anthony's um, biography, and and it's horrifying what that addiction did to him, and the pain that it caused him. You know, and trying to wrestle with that and get that under control. And I, Flea was asked, I think, by Rick Rubin, or maybe it was on Mark Maron. I don't remember which one it was, but it was uh, he was like, you know, because Mark, it was on Mark Maron, and he's like, Mark's sober, you know. And so Mark was like, well, you know, you did heroin and you did this. Did you ever feel compelled to do it again? And he's like, no, I didn't. He said, I would do it. I've never done it two days in a row. And I've never, I was more enticed by the feeling that I got from playing basketball. And if I got, if I was high, then I couldn't play basketball. And that's the way life has been for me. Yeah, I've done drugs. I've smoked crack. I've done cocaine. I've done every single drug there is. Heroin, you name it. I want. I like to experience things. But luckily for me, like Flea, there were. I think it was a genetic component to where I just didn't have that bug. He didn't have that bug, you know. And uh, but it's 
I've, I've, I have empathy for people that have it. And those people that have it have got to manage it. Like it's a, like, it's cancer that could come back at any moment. And like it's our mutual very friend Paul, like our mutual friend, Paul. I mean, yeah, I mean, he came back from the dead. Yeah. And it's not fair for us who don't have it to sit there and say, well, why don't you just quit? Right. <laughs> what a fucking asshole thing to say. Right. I want you to just quit. You think food's the same way you think cancer. You, you know? think food like, falls into the same category? Like, do, what yes. do you think about ob- obesity? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if food does. I think that, you know, we all, food is very different and people have food addictions. I think the difficulty with food and sex is that those are things that we need to do to have a healthy life. We don't need to do drugs or alcohol. Yeah, you can't, you know? quit, so, you can't quit food. You have to dance. If, if food's your devil, you quit. still have to dance your whole life with the devil. So, you know, I think that, that, that there's a, it's a much more difficult road to, because I deal with that with people. And if, when you're triggered and we go into fight or flight, right, we all do every day through little things, road rage, whatever it is, things that scare us. I think that at some point we need to start understanding our trauma and dealing with and getting down inside of our heads and saying, why recognizing first that I'm triggered, understanding what happens when we get triggered. And once we get triggered, there's like a 20, 30 minute um, window of time in which the front of the brain stops pretty much working. Right. And so we almost lose our free will. And so I what agree. is it, right? Mm-hmm. It's what happens. That's the way we survived in the wild. Our brains evolved over millions of years. We are prisoners of our brains, right? I always tell people your brain is not your friend, right? Your brain, your brain pumps out 40 to 60,000 thoughts a day. Did you think of all those on purpose? Right. So what is thought, you know? And so I think at some point we have to become like a master of who we are and start digging into our brains and saying, you know, why am first I'm triggered, what's happening when I'm triggered, and then start learning coping mechanisms to bring us out of once we're in a state of discomfort, we will relieve that discomfort. It will fucking happen. We have to. And so, you know, some people they go to alcohol or drugs or whatever it is. For me, I like to work out. I work out. That's what I do. That's what I've always done. Like Flea plays basketball. That's what he does. He's always done. Um, so with food. And some people eat. That's right. Circling back to it. So I think, you know, when I'm dealing with clients who want to lose weight, you know, we have to get into that. We have to be like, dude, what is it that's triggering you when you're feeling these feelings? Like I have to eat this. What happened? I work with them on journaling. What happened before then? What happened before then? And when you feel this, you know, we need to take some steps to bring you out of the fight or flight. Because if this is neutral on an RPM meter, which is our stress level, and it goes just this much, you're still in fight or flight to a degree. You're still starting to lose your ability to think. And so it's a spectrum. It's not, you know, on or off. Oh, I'm all fight or flight. I'm about ready to kill someone. That's not it. Once you're a little bit triggered, you're, you're, you have that discomfort and you're going to relieve it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's food is tough because we learn, all of us learn to cope with food, you know? Um, the Rotola brothers, were they students of yours? No, I was students of them. They, uh, there's a picture. I was, just, 
I was just with Ty like two days ago. There's a picture of you and, and your grown ass man and their little kids. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been training with them. I think Ty was the speaking of Ty was the uh the first one to ever toehold me when he was like eight years old or nine years old. Yeah, look at those kids, man. In case no one knows, I took that picture. In case no one knows, these are like now like regarded as, and they always were, you know, regarded as two of the greats of of jujitsu. Really remarkable what's happened in the last year with them. I mean, they are. They're coming into their own in a big way. Yeah, I love those kids, man. No, I was students of them. They always were, since I met them, they were at eight years old, they were black belts in their understanding of jujitsu, you know. And their techniques and it's unparalleled. Uh, 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 products of AOJ also. Yeah. And then they they left and they train started training with uh Andre Galvao, which was our sister school down in San Diego. Nuts. Look look at these lunatics. Yeah, I've never even seen a skateboard like that that looks like a circle. That thing's crazy. <laughs> that thing Those is kids crazy. Are psychopaths, man. They're so crazy. Yeah. Talented. They've, never, they've never been to school. All they've done is homeschooled, you know, and been professional jujitsu jiu- athletes since they were three. So, yeah, absolutely it's nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what happened to? Um, I saw you post that Orlando passed away. What happened to Orlando? I don't know. We don't know. I have no idea. I'm so you know, sorry. It's crazy. I know he, he was- battled for with you know addiction issues also, man. I don't know if that was a, if that was it or not. Paul would probably know. I don't know. But I saw. Really I saw, He was introduced to me um, via you know the internet. I never met him in person, but um, I think I saw him uh, wrestling with uh, Luke Rockhold once, and I, I'll never forget that. Yeah, and I just remember, wow, this guy Orlando is gnarly. Good. I would I would grapple with him. And I'm like Orlando, I'm fucking could be your dad. Calm down. You're too big. And I'm older than you. So he, he would go knee on belly. And at one time, and I was like, that's enough. That's enough. Stop. Stop. Right, right. You're fucking 400 pounds, man. I'm and that's okay. That's okay to do that. That just requires humility on your part. Like, th- that's an important part of the uh, of the training. Like, hey, I, I, I have Listen, to man, I tell, I tell everybody, my body, my rules, right? I'm going to take that me too shit. My body, my rules, I decide what how, who I roll with, when I roll. No one tells me who to roll with. And they never have. I'm like, man, I'm, I don't roll with Paul, our friend, Paul, who was on this podcast. He's on the band list forever. He oh yeah. He's, he's really aggressive, aggressive, right? Too aggressive. I'm a gorilla. I don't know what he is, man. He, oh, we call him Rhino. So he's a Rhino. A Rhino is, yeah, dude, you're going to get that horn at some point very quickly. So no, I, I, I've always treated, you know, being older, I, you know, I really stress for myself longevity. And so I don't roll with anybody I don't feel comfortable with. I don't like rolling with lower belts. I don't like rolling with anybody who's even, you know, 15 pounds more than me. I don't care. And if people don't like it, fuck you, you know? Right, right. right. Yeah. I, 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 I appreciate that. Um, my, my, someone, my, someone told me when I said that, I was talking about that on a podcast and someone responded back. He was like a gym owner. And he was like, yeah, but you know, jujitsu is supposed to work against all these different weight classes and blah, blah, blah. And I said, listen, man, I only spar for one reason. One reason do I spar. And that's to get ready for, ready for a competition. Because for my, at my gym with the competitors, sparring is irrelevant. 
you're supposed to lose when you spar, right? You're supposed to. You don't prove anything by winning during sparring. If you want to prove something, go compete. There is for everyone in the world, there is a weight class, a belt division, and an age division perfect for you. So if you're not competing and you have something to prove, go do it. One of the and, first and, that, and that shut him up. He's like, oh, okay, okay, yeah. Well, it's so true, and it's it's. I think it's um, it's it's probably it's funny. It's probably true on both ends of the spectrum as you get older and really young. But one of the first tournaments I ever took my kid to, <laughs> I, I think he was five, and you know. It, it, I mean, it's jujitsu. He'd been doing it for a couple of years, but it's just five-year-olds, right? Yeah. And he won his no-gi, and he won his gi class, and he was so excited because he was so scared. He won all his matches. And then at the end of the tournament, they had a kid who there wasn't someone in his age or his weight. And I had never been to a tournament. I didn't know shit. And they had walked up to my wife when I was doing something else, and they said, hey, there's a kid who doesn't have a match. Can your kid go against him? And it was a six-year-old who was 10 pounds more. Mm-hmm. And he just smashed my kid and made him cry in the first five seconds and ruined the whole fucking tournament for him. Exactly. And I, and I wish I just would have been there and been like, Hey, uh, no, no. Yeah. Like, I know I don't do, op- I did open division one time and, uh, that's where all the weight classes combine and to see who can win, right. which obviously favors whoever's the fucking biggest. It's ridiculous. And so, um, so I did it one time. And I, my won my first match, someone like 30 pounds heavier. My next opponent came up like to the mat and he was like 320 pounds. And I was like, nope. <laughs> and they were like, you don't want to wrestle. You're not going to, you're in the tournament. I'm like, I don't care. I'm not fighting that dude. There's right. no fucking way. Right. There's no way. So right. yeah, I really stress. And, and, and with children, you know, I teach a lot of kids jujitsu jujitsu is like surfing. The worst thing you can do with a kid is take them into the ocean and let them experience a wave that is too big. Hold hold on. Hold on. Sorry. And ruin the whole and ruin it all for them. You, You don't just ruin that day. Now you've given them a trauma in their brain where they go into fight or flight and they associate the ocean with being terrible. And it could take years to get over that. If ever. Hey, I saw the movie Jaws and that movie Jaws. I've never got over it. Right. I don't think anyone does. You see that movie once and you're fucked. Right. It's crazy. So, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing with jujitsu or anything with your children. Our job as parents, you know, being a parent myself is, you know, we have to shield our kids from trauma. I mean, that's our job and it's hard. It's fucking insanely hard, but we, that's, that's our goal, you know, and jujitsu is the same and coaches should know that they should know that, you know, um, Nick, um, the, the first book you finished isn't in print anymore. Is there, is it ever going to come back in print? And I think I also- so. I, I'm, I want to bring, it's like a hard, it's like a coffee table book, but I think what I'll do next is work with a publisher and bring it out in like a really pristine, I don't know how it works because publishing like I did with the first book, you know, when there was an, it, when it was new and there was a greater demand, you know, publishing only works at scale. So if a publisher, they can, they only have so many slots that they can sell a book. And so if they can't sell, you know, like hundred thousand copies, whatever it is, a certain number of books, it's not worth it to them. They're too big. Their supply chain only works, you know, when they get this kind of an order. And so with most of the time, that's not an issue because there's Kindle now and you have print on demand. The difficulty with my book is because there's, there's photographs and there's and writing, 
you, you need to have it printed really nice. And so um, I don't know how like on-demand printing for a coffee table book would work. So I'll, I'll start um, start researching that and put it together because a lot of people are asking me. Maybe I'll update a chapter or two. I don't know. I, I bought the um, digital version. It doesn't do it justice, but I'm still glad I got it. It's called Into the Cage, Rise of UFC Nation. What about uh, um, uh, Arc Zone? Did Arc Zone ever get published? I was looking at Arc Zero. Arc, Arc Zero, Zero, sorry, Arc Zero. Yeah, Did that so, ever get published? so Arc Zero, Arc Zero is a sci-fi series and novel, and I got a publishing uh, offer in September. And to be honest, I told them I have to get. That was at a point where I was so, I was traveling so much in Europe. I was like, I cannot make a momentous decision like this right now. I need to get back in the United States. Is it done? Is the series done? Is it yeah. complete? No, no. The book is the first two books are done. Okay. And so, um, so I, that'll be my first order of business. I'm still, everything's still chaotic. I'm still just staying with a friend right now. Look at my shit behind me. I know. I love and it. So, hey, people, hey, people see that and they're envious of it. People who know what you're doing, like I'm 53 and I have young kids. I'm on the other end of the spectrum as you, but I lived yeah. that life and that's a good ass life you're living, man. Who? It's, it's, I, I, I like it because, you know, being older now, I can appreciate it even more where I'm like, I was caught in the matrix for so fucking long, you know, having to raise a kid, financial responsibilities that now I don't have any of that, you know, and I just, luckily I can consult with people and consult with clients and, um, that I don't have to really worry about, you know being tied down and I'm not, and I'm no longer thinking I'm no longer of the mindset, which we all go through when we're younger of, I would be, I'd be, I'd be so much happier if I had a Range Rover, I'll be so much happier. You know what I mean? If I had a boat, if I had this man, I used to live in a house, you know, that with like, I don't even know how many bedrooms I'd have. I don't know on a lake, two blocks from the ocean, ocean views. I had five cars, boat, I've never more miserable in my life. <laughs> you know, want to meet a miserable man, meet a man with a boat, meet a man with a boat. Just a man with shit. Right. <laughs> you know, because everything it's, I love the the saying that, you know, you don't own your things, your things on you. And for yes. me, that was very true. Yes. I, I yeah. agree. Uh, um, so when is that, when, when is, when are we going to see, um, when is your next project coming out? Is it going to be Arc Zero, and, and, and where can uh, yeah, can yeah? I, I mean it? that that's already done, so that'll just be me getting situated with wherever I'm going to live. I don't, you know, being in Europe, I had the idea; it was really an exploratory thing for me. And so, when I was in Europe, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to live in Europe full time. I want to get my citizenship. I want to do that. When I was over there. I realized, cause I, that's why I went to all these different countries. Cause I was like, where will I want to live? Where will I want to live? And a few people had said to me, you know what, when you find it, you'll know it. And, uh, I didn't find it frankly. And so everywhere I went, I was like, this is really cool. Could I live here full time? No way. And so I wanted to come back here for, cause winter in Europe is rainy and cold anywhere you are, even Portugal is rainy and cold and I don't do well with that. And so I was like, I'm going to come back to California. I haven't been in California for three years. And so 
I wanted to come back to California, train at AOJ for the first time in three years, getting ready for Nogi Worlds. I wanted to try and win Nogi Worlds again. And uh, so I came back and, you know, the feeling of, oh, this feels so good. You know, this feels so good. I wanted to leave California because I wanted adventure, but I've always loved it here. And so yeah, being back in a good in, ass spot too. It's clean. It's clean. Great weather. Ambitious, perfect people. weather, perfect weather. So I don't, I just don't know if I'm going to, I'm going to spend some time. I have a friend with a guest house up in Brentwood. Oh, so I'm going to spend some time up in Brentwood. Yeah. I know it's hard to complain, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know where Brentwood is. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so, um, I, I'll be decide. I'm going to decide over the next few months if I want to stay. When here. you're in Brentwood, will you go to, um, uh, team alpha male? I'll go to team alpha males in Sacramento. Right, but I mean, kind kind of kind of close, right? I mean, thirty minute drive, too far. Sacramento, yeah, from Brentwood. Oh, which Brentwood are you talking about? Brentwood. Oh, I was thinking of Brentwood. Sorry, I was thinking about Brentwood up in the Bay Area. You're talking no. about Brentwood, like Bel Air, Brentwood, right? Yeah. Like, okay. I'm okay. About ritzy, ritzy, ritzy. Okay. Brentwood. Okay. I thought you were talking yeah. about like out in the country, out there by. Okay. Okay. No, I don't do rural. And so, <laughs> 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 so no. Um, so no, I'll be up in Brentwood. I'll be training at Meraki, which is my uh, Kenny Florin used to own that gym. Okay, Jason Hunt has it, and so I'll be training there and training people there. And I'll be I got a mo vintage motorcycle as soon as I got back, and a Triumph, and uh, so I'll just be kind of cruising. But I'm going to decide between I think Newport, which I love because my friends are here and the gym's here, and Carlsbad somewhere like that. I love Great it. Great spot. There. Yeah, I'm a surfer. You know. I want to surf. I want to hang out. I want, I want to enjoy life, you know? And so I think what I'll end up doing is, um, spending, you know, like four or five months, six months of the year here, and then traveling the rest, go to London for summers and spend fall, maybe somewhere. I don't know, maybe spring I'll send, spend in Europe. You know, I'll probably spend a month every year in Sicily still all my, I got a lot of friends there and, uh, and, um, and then, after, but after I make that decision, circling back, that's when I'll decide on what um, my next project's going to be. I anticipate before COVID happened, um, I was starting to write a fitness book and put all this together. COVID happened and exploded all of our lives, right? For me, I exploded all of our plans. For me, it gave me a better plan because the plan was just travel. And I, it's been incredible. I'm a different person. Um so I'll probably, I anticipate that I'm going to do a fitness book and just talk about, you know, that really addresses all of the things that we've gone over. Uh, I, I, I want to um, leave with this and let everyone know, and everyone knows I detest this word influencer or like YouTuber or these types of words, because I think that they should be a byproduct of who you are and not um, aspirational goals. But this guy that you're looking at here, Nick the Tooth, is really truly an influencer. And you'll go to his Instagram account, and he's an influencer because there's things that you're going to see that he posts. There, it's just his life. You're going to see him getting in an ice bath, and you're going to hear him talking about how he thinks it increased his testosterone levels. He's going to talk to you about the way he eats, the way he experiments with his body, the way how he stays healthy. <laughs> but but he's not doing any of it. He's not trying to peddle you anything. He's just it's, it's part of his craft. It's what artists do. He uses the the platform as just a way to express himself. There's no there's no um, fancy post with like branded shit. It's it's um man, you're the real deal. 
And I, and I really Thank appreciate you. you coming on and I look forward to our paths crossing again. You're a wealth of yeah, information. Bro. I feel Thank like we got so a much. good, I feel like uh, we got a good, uh, kind of a painting here swath of, of, of what it's, what, what, uh, healthy, successful, uh, well-balanced, um, man, but who still can live life on the edges and the fringes, uh, at, at 53 years old. I, I bet you I do, 99% I do wanna, of, go ahead. I do want to say something that I don't know if comes across is that the reality is if you want to, like for me, the greatest, goal, the greatest success that we can have is achieving and realizing the life that we envision for ourselves, right? I do want to really emphasize that if you want to, for me, if in the people that I am around that, who have achieved that, is that it takes a tremendous amount of dedication and focus and work. It doesn't take hard work. It just takes setting forth your goals, setting forth the small goals that are the small stones that are leading there and going through it. You don't have to do it with stress. You don't have to be sweating. You don't have to be, you just go there, you do it mindfully. You do it with emotion mind. You don't think about it. You just go through it. It's like when people are like, what if I don't have motivation to go to the gym? I'm like, what's motivation? The fuck is motivation? You walk through the door, just go walk through the door. Who cares what happens afterwards? You know? And so I can really, I can't emphasize that enough. Getting old, like for us, getting older. I think even watching the way you work out shows that. I couldn't believe, like when you show your weight training, it's the most peaceful weight training I've ever seen. Lightweights, mellow, but it's a, um, it's it's a it's a it's a practice for you, and yet no yeah. one can say it's not working because look at your body and look at your success in your um in your discipline with jujitsu. Your weight training is just a classic example of that. That's how I try and treat my whole life. And it's, it takes work. It takes, it, you know, to, to, to try and be Zen in every situation is not easy, but if you, if you, you know, it's taken me a long time. And so, um, if you can start to adopt those principles in your life before you know it, your world is calm. Your world is what you wanted it to be. You know what I mean? So yeah. really want to emphasize that you do have to do the work. It's not, I went to law school. I got my MBA. I, you know what I mean? It's none of it is just handed to you. Right. Yeah. Fuck you in the world. It's insane. Starting at 43. <laughs> Brother, thank you so much for your time. I know your time is very valuable. I know that uh, you are a high demand guy. I appreciate I'm so glad I met, uh, met Paul and that Paul uh, pointed me in your direction. And uh, thanks for responding to my DMs and all that and, and trusting, uh, you know, your being to come on my show. I appreciate it. Oh man, thanks for having me. We'll have to do this again after I get I would situated. love that. After I get situated, I'm about to start up my podcast again. I'll have you on and we'll get it going. Bitching, brother. Thank you so All much. Right, and uh we'll be in touch. Okay. Take care. Ciao. Nick the tooth. Gulo. Gulo. Okay, I saw what you said. Brentwood in the uh, in the bay would still be 1.5 hours drive to uh, Sacramento. Okay, fine. I was just trying to show off a little bit. Fine, busted, busted. I don't think it's the you drive slow. How about that? I'll, I'll meet you in the middle. 45 minutes max. Um, oh, cool. All right. Uh, Seven one didn't want to break. Uh, Seven didn't want to break it to him that he won't go on. Go on where? Uh, this guy was Seven when he was woke. 
<laughs> be nice. Be nice. I'll have you on. No, you won't. I'm going to send him a book. I'm going to send him a book. The book, I'm going to tell you guys the name of the book too. You guys should all listen to the audio version or read this book. This is a, it's fucking, it's the, it's the unfuck you book. Uh, uh, libra, uh, libra, uh, libertarianism, libertarianism. I need to recommend this book more. This book, it's by, uh, who, who wrote it? You guys is it's David Boaz. Is that the guy's name? Had to have read it. Uh, here we go. Here we go. This, uh, here it is. Here it is. Just get this book and listen to it. Just chill. So chill. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Um. I'm gonna send it to him. He doesn't know. I'm gonna ask him for his address. Here it is. Libertarianism. A primer. I know. What was I supposed to say? No, healthcare isn't free. I mean, what was, I couldn't. I can't make a whole show. I don't want to fight with him. I don't want to talk to him about. But 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 but. And here's the thing. It's his experience. He had that experience, and it was good. So you know, he had that experience, and it was good. Uh, Libertarianism by David Boaz. I promise you, if you listen to this audiobook, it will change your life. You will be so, so happy from the knowledge that you gain, from the perspective you gain. 100%. Uh, great guy. That is a good ass life he's living. He's doing, that is, um, he's, he's freed himself. He's, he's, he's freeing himself from the bondage of the world. And, uh, when you do that, you have endless energy and, um, just happiness. Get your pink shirt. It's a little big on me. Uh, normally a large fits me. This is a large. Um, get it over at Vindicate. And. Uh, uh, okay, that's it. I got to pee. I can't even think straight. Uh, there's a game called Class. K-L-A-S-K. Uh, the creator of that game is coming on the show tomorrow. It's a it's a it's a wooden game where you use magnets and hit balls around. It's the most popular game in all of Denmark. It's taking over Europe, and the creator of it and the innovator of it is coming on the show tomorrow. And I will see you then at seven a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Okay, bye.